Thank you for joining us for this week's sermon podcast from the First United Methodist Church of Parable. Well, as you can tell from the prayers and the songs and even perhaps some of the things here on the altar table, today is a day where we remember and give thanks and remind ourselves of the uh, joys and the promises that come in baptism. And so you'll hear in these scripture lessons, first from Acts, as as Peter preaches about Christ and his resurrection, and then from the Gospel of Matthew, the story of Jesus' baptism, uh, you'll hear those themes coming together. So I invite you to follow along there in the order of worship or on the screen. The first lesson is from Acts chapter 10. Then Peter began to speak to them, I truly understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. You know the message that he sent the people of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That message has spread throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John announced how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. We are witnesses to all that he did, both in Judea and Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and allowed him to appear, not to all people, but to us who were chosen by God as witnesses, and who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one ordained by God as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And Matthew 3, chapter, chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. Do you come to me? But Jesus answered, Let it be so now, for it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. And so then he, John, consented. When Jesus had been baptized, just as he came up from the water, suddenly the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. May God bless our reading of the Holy Scriptures and let us say together, Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Holy God, we do pray with thanksgiving in our hearts today as we come again to these sacred texts, these ancient texts, perhaps scenes we know well. We pray that you would speak to us and speak through these words, that we might find our own hearts lifted up, that we might find our hearts knit together, that we might find our souls reshaped and shaped again according to your will and word. This is our prayer and our hope this morning as we worship together. Amen. Life moves at you pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you could miss it. These are the words of wisdom from the great poet and thinker Ferris Bueller in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. I know some of you 80s children in here remember that movie well and saw it countless times. Of course, it's a playful and fun movie as a high school student. Ferris Bueller uh, tries to find the, the perfect day away from school, and so he manipulates his parents and teachers, his administrators, so he can enjoy a warm and sunny Sunday or sunny afternoon uh, in Chicago with his two best friends. 
What's unique about that movie or was unique about it at the time was that, was that Ferris Bueller would break the fourth wall, right? And when you break the fourth wall, that's when the, the people who are acting turn to the camera and in essence turn to the audience and they speak directly to those who are watching. And so Bueller has that famous monologue at the beginning of the movie where he's waking up and he's orchestrating his plans for the day. And he tells those of us who are watching, life moves at you pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you could miss it. About 10 or 15 years ago, Nationwide Insurance took that same phrase and used it as a theme for their insurance commercials. Only in this case, it wasn't high school students, it was people later in their professional or in their adult lives. And they were often daydreaming about what would what happen next in their lives, often retirement. Maybe they would be on a, on a really pretty European vacation or they would be building a pool in their backyard. And then they would wake up from daydreaming and they would realize they were nowhere near their dreams. And so it would say, life comes at you pretty fast. Are you prepared with nationwide insurance? So no matter where you're at, if you're in high school or you're a little bit beyond high school, life comes at you pretty fast. We were talking about this at the dinner table last night. We were talking about how life seems to go faster the older you get, right? We uh, think about our children. My, my children are six and nine, and I can remember crystal clear, right, when they were born and when they were babies. That seems like it was just yesterday, and we were telling the kids this, and Holden said, wow, Dad, uh, if this is true, you need to start thinking about your grandpa name. <laughs> He's worried about what they're going to call me when I'm a grandpa, so... Uh, life moves really fast, I guess. I've read a little bit about the, the psychology of that, but it's pretty simple, right? Like, like to a four-year-old, uh, one year is one-fourth of their life, right? So that's a long time ago. But to a 40-year-old, uh, one year is one-fortieth of your life, right? So that's not that long ago. So as you get older, it does seem like life moves faster because the years behind you are so many, right? So life moves fast. Often it is in January that we take time to pause and to think about our lives. You probably have made some New Year's resolutions. Chase talked a little bit about that in his sermon last week. I want to do something similar here in January as a church to take a, take a little bit of a, a pause, a little bit of an assessment. You know, life moves fast. Maybe your life of discipleship uh, is moving fast and maybe you don't have a great handle on it. And so I'm hoping here in January that we might think together a little bit about where is our life going, Right? Uh, where are we headed? What sort of disciple are we becoming? What does it mean for us to follow Jesus? How do we hope that that takes a, a particular shape this coming year? So you can see there on the front of your bulletin, Disciples Path. We're going to talk about what it means to be a disciple, how we grow in our discipleship, and then we're going to set some individual goals. That's kind of the plan for January. But today we're going to begin with baptism. Often in the beginning of January, we, we tell the story of Jesus' baptism. The reason that we do that then is, is you think about the story of the Gospels, particularly Matthew and Luke, where we get the Christmas stories, right? Um, they move really quickly from Christmas to Jesus' adult life. Uh, we have that one story about Jesus as a, a young adult, as a teenager, where his parents lose him in Jerusalem, right? So parents, whatever failures you've had the last year, you're not any worse than Mary and Joseph, right? They lost Jesus, the Son of God. If you've lost your kids, totally forgivable, right? So Jesus is lost as a, as a teenager, and then, like the very next story, is that Jesus is an adult. And so there's about 30 years of Jesus' life where we don't know much about. So we were here for Christmas just a couple of weeks ago, right? And now we're already to Jesus' age 30. And the reason we're reading that story today is because this is sort of the first story we have about Jesus following Christmas. 
Now, you heard it there a few minutes ago. It's only four verses. It's not very long. You, you know the, the background. John the Baptist, who is Jesus' cousin, is out at the River Jordan. And John the Baptist is, is preaching this sort of fiery sermon, right? You need to be uh, forgiven. You need to repent of your sins. And famously, he calls those who come to him a brood of vipers, Right? So John the Baptist is a pretty intense preacher, an intense character, uh, but his message seems to be working. So people are coming to him at the River Jordan, and he's baptizing them. So first thing we sort of notice there is that just the act of baptism is something that predates Jesus and predates Christianity. Right? It was not uncommon for people to go through a ritual cleansing right, to be washed, to be reminded that they need to live a pure life, to be reminded of the, the forgiveness available to them. And so that's what John the Baptist is doing at the River Jordan. And then strangely enough, as we read today, Jesus shows up to be baptized. Now for those of us who are familiar with the story of Jesus, this raises all sorts of flags. Why would Jesus, the one who is, who is perfect and whole and holy, the one who is without sin, why would he show up to be baptized by John the Baptist who is preaching about the forgiveness of sin and repentance. And so that's what John says. John says, why are you here? I, you, know, I, you should be baptizing me. I shouldn't be baptizing you. And then Jesus says this really odd thing, and you might highlight it there in your bulletin. He says, it's important that we do this, we together do this, to fulfill all righteousness. To fulfill all righteousness. That's kind of an odd phrase and, and probably kind of the key to thinking about Jesus' baptism. Why does Jesus need to be baptized? Why does Jesus get baptized? To fulfill all righteousness. Now, when we think about righteousness, what we're talking about usually is the character of God. That God is righteous. Another word for righteousness is, is holy, holiness, right? That God is holy. God is just. God is loving and merciful. This is the character of, of who God is. Now, Jesus, to this point in the story of the Gospel of Matthew, we, we haven't read a whole lot about him. We know the Christmas story, but we haven't really seen Jesus speak and teach as much yet. And so maybe there's a little bit of a question about, about Jesus' identity. Who exactly is Jesus? Who was this baby that was born to Mary and Joseph, who's, who's been marked for a special ministry? What, what does it mean? What, who, who's Jesus, and what's his identity and character? And Jesus says here in this story, it's important that I be baptized to fulfill all righteousness. In other words, there's something about Jesus' baptism that, that makes the, the identity of God, the character of God, sort of fully apparent or revealed in Jesus as well. Like whatever we think about God and God's righteousness, that now that, that same perspective is being shared with Jesus. Well, how do we know? Well, of course, the scene is so wonderful. Jesus, of course, is baptized by John, probably in a real similar way that we do baptisms, right? He, he goes under the water, he comes forth, and then the scripture says that the heavens were, were opened up. The verb here is more like torn apart. The heavens were torn apart, like tearing open a bag or a cardboard box. The heavens were torn apart, and a dove comes down and alights on him, and we have the voice of God the Father, this is my son, my beloved, the one with whom I'm well pleased. So this seems to be what Jesus means by fulfilling the righteousness. Like in this moment, the identity of God and the identity of Jesus are fully revealed. They are fulfilled for people there to see, for us to read about and to experience now. In other words, at Jesus' baptism, his, there should be no more questions about sort of who Jesus is and what Jesus' relationship is to God. Now we have God the Father, we have God the Son and Jesus, and of course we have God the Holy Spirit in the dove. 
It's one of the few places in Scripture where we get the three persons of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all together at once. And so Jesus isn't receiving baptism for the forgiveness of sins in the way that John described. Jesus is is participating in baptism so that God's identity might be revealed and fulfilled in this moment. That in Christ's baptism, we know exactly who God is. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And all of the righteousness that is God is, is fully there in Jesus. Jesus is who God is. Just as righteous as God is. Just as full of the Spirit and power of God. This is who Jesus is for us. And so today, often in the beginning of January, we remember Jesus' baptism. Remember this moment where his identity is made known and celebrated among his followers. Now, of course, soon after, baptism became a tradition within the Christian community. We would later call it a sacrament, a sacrament, a certain thing that we do because Jesus did it and because Jesus told us to do it with and for other people. And so on this Sunday in January, we not only remember Jesus being baptized, but we remember and celebrate our own baptisms, sort of like a birthday party or an anniversary celebration. Today it is my chance and my joy to remind you that you have been baptized. And in fact, this is the most important thing about you. Of all the characteristics, of all the things that make you you, the most important thing is that you were baptized and that you have been united with Christ Jesus in his death and resurrection. And not only were you united with Christ Jesus in his death and resurrection, but in your baptism you made commitments to the church. Today we remember and remind ourselves of the vows that we have made. In the United Methodist Church they read this way, Do you renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness, reject the evil powers of this world, and repent of your sin? So when we're baptized, or today when we remember our baptism, one of the things we do is we acknowledge the brokenness in our own lives. When we come to be baptized, we admit that we are not perfect, that we are not whole, that we are not complete, that we stand in need of healing and grace and forgiveness and care. And not only do we acknowledge that when we were baptized, but we continue to acknowledge that throughout our lives, that that part of recognizing our relationship to God is naming our need for forgiveness and healing and wholeness. Number two, do you accept the freedom and the power God gives you to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves? This is really important, right? Because not only when you're baptized do you name the brokenness within yourself, the healing and forgiveness that you need, But also in your baptism, you are reminded that the world is broken. That the world is full of hatred and evil and violence. That the world is is filled with terrible things. And, And of course, you already know this to be true. But in your baptism, you are given freedom and power to resist the brokenness of the world. In other words, in your baptism, you have been commissioned. You've been made part of the work of God in the world. You're not just being healed for the sake of yourself. You're being healed and empowered so that you can go forth as an agent of God's goodness in the world. Your baptism is your power to serve as a faithful disciple out there beyond the church walls. Number three, do you confess Jesus Christ as your Savior? Do you put your whole trust in his grace? Promise to serve him as your Lord in union with the church, which Christ has opened to people of all ages, nations, and races. When you are baptized, no matter whether you're an infant or a teen or an adult, you confess that Jesus Christ is your Savior. And you are committing your whole life to Jesus Christ. All of your other commitments, 
your career commitments, your family commitments, your extracurricular commitments, all of the other commitments in your life have now been put underneath this most important commitment to follow Jesus Christ. You are subjecting your life and all that you do to Jesus Christ, your Lord and your Savior. Nothing else in your life is as important as following Jesus Christ. This is what you confess when you're baptized, and this is what you're being reminded of today as we remember our baptism. And again, it's kind of like questions one and two. It's not just about you. It's not just that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, but that Jesus is the Lord and Savior of the whole world. That his church, not just this church, but his church, the big church, is open to people of all ages, nations, and races. We confess that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior, and he is the Lord and Savior of all people. And we long to share this good news, the same good news that has made us whole and saved us. We want other people to know it and experience it as well. It was only in the last year, some of you will know more about this than I will, it was only in the last year that I was introduced to the story of this boat, the Edmund Fitzgerald. Does some of you know this story, a few of you who are older? Some of you who are from the upper Midwest know it better. The Edmund Fitzgerald was the largest boat for Great Lakes uh, seagoing that had been built in the late 50s, and so it was commissioned in 1958. Now, I don't know every detail of the story. I'm just going to hit some of the high points. But it was used for hauling iron ore, as were many of the large boats on the Great Lakes. And so they would take iron ore from Minnesota, from the coast of Minnesota, and from Canada even, and they would take it down to Detroit and to Toledo. So major boats. This one was about 729 feet long, and it weighed 13,000 tons. So it was the largest boat that had ever been made for this purpose in the late 50s. And it was a great joy to see it in the world and to see it on the water. Uh, It was owned by an insurance company, and so it was often used that executives and customers would come on the boat just to ride on this big, beautiful boat as it crossed the Great Lakes. But in the 1970s, 1975, it went out on a, on a trip uh, during a major storm. And so at first there were gale force winds, and then uh, there became a, a storm warning, eventually a blizzard. And so we have some audio recordings, and some other ships were around as well. They were keeping up with the ship, and they were monitoring it until it lost its radar. And then at about 7.10 p.m., there's a recording of the captain telling the, the others that they're holding their own, and then they go silent. And so on this stormy night, this dark night, this winter evening in November of 75, the ship goes under really, really fast. All the people who were on the board died, 29 people, um, people from Michigan and, and um, Ohio and Wisconsin, Minnesota, from the captain all the way down to the, to the workers on the lower end. And so it's, it's there under, under the water at the bottom of the lake, and it's considered one of these great tragedies and and particularly in the Midwest it's remembered and lamented because it was a ship of such great size and such magnitude because it had been so successful and it was so fast people were particularly devastated uh, when it sank and then there's been a lot of debate among engineers about what exactly happened because it seemed that they were sort of holding their own and then all of a sudden the ship was gone and so of course the weather was bad the waves were bad there's some there's some thought that the the ship actually was torn in two by, by a couple of different waves and when it split It was hauling 26,000 tons of iron ore. So the weight of the ship, the weight of the iron ore, and then the water that would have come in, that it went to the bottom in just a few seconds, 500 feet all the way to the bottom. It's a really tragic and, and somewhat interesting story. Some of you may know more about it than I. Some of you may want to read about it later this week. Now, this is going to sound a little weird, but I, but I want to offer you this image of this magnificent, strong, and fast ship as something of a metaphor 
for our spiritual lives. All right? Imagine yourselves big and strong and dependable, made many journeys back and forth across the lake, but there are occasions that are really difficult, and it feels like you're carrying too much weight, maybe more weight than you should. It feels like the storm is a little bit too strong, and it feels like you're on the verge of shipwreck, right? You've been there? If you can imagine that sort of metaphor, and you think about the ship in terms of your own life, what I want to tell you today is that that baptism is your anti-shipwreck guarantee. Baptism is your anti-shipwreck guarantee. What I mean by that is when you're baptized, what we are saying to you is that you have been united with Jesus Christ in His death and His resurrection. In other words, in baptism, what we're saying and what we're celebrating is the worst thing that can happen to you the worst thing that can happen to you has already been defeated. What's the worst thing that could happen to you? That you could be overwhelmed, that you could sink to the bottom. Well, we'll go ahead and take care of that right now. Be baptized in the power of Jesus' death. Be baptized in the power of Christ's resurrection. You have already been united with Christ in his resurrection. Therefore, you need not fear even the worst thing that could happen. There is no storm too strong. There's no way you could bear too much weight. You've already been united with Jesus. You've already been united with Jesus in his death and his resurrection. And therefore, you should have the utmost confidence about going out on your own journey. You should have the utmost confidence about living your life of faith, about your job, about your career, about parenting, about serving in the church. You've already received the guarantee of Christ's death and resurrection. And therefore, you should have no fear. You should have no fear. Jesus is with you. Jesus has defeated death. You've been saved by Jesus. Therefore, go. Go and renounce your sin and resist evil. Proclaim that Christ is the Savior. Join God and His work in the world without fear for your own life. People are baptized in many different ways. They are often baptized as infants in our church. Sometimes they're baptized at confirmation. We would certainly celebrate baptizing people as adults if that was the time that they came to us and came to our church. It doesn't matter when you're baptized. The promises are true for you. And today is our day to remember and to give thanks for our baptism and for our place in Christ's church. Thank you for listening. You can find out more about First United Methodist Church by going to our website at www.fumcparacle.org. May God bless you this week.